Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is the Lois J. Wetzel Show, and I'm your host and executive producer, Lois Wetzel, coming to you live this morning from 9 a.m. Houston, Texas, Central Time. I want to remind you to register for Blog Talk Radio. It's free, and if you do that, you can rate my show, mark it as a favorite, and let people know that you were here and listening to my show. You can get reminders of upcoming shows. It's all free. My call-in number is 347-945-5309. You can call using the telephone or Skype. You can listen on your phone or your computer. If you're calling in and you want to ask a question, just hit the number 1 and I'll know that you would like to ask a question. I also want to remind you that I offer a free email newsletter about metaphysics, spirituality, the coming changes, all the kinds of things we talk about here on this show. I've been sending this newsletter out for about 12 years, and to sign up for that, you would go to my website, hotpinklotus.com. I do not share email addresses with anyone because your privacy is important. Well, good morning. Today, we're going to be talking about authenticity, about being real, about coming from your truth, and um, how that affects other people, as well as how to handle how that affects other people. I'm going to be talking with a couple of my friends who I believe are authentic people, and um, we're just going to be talking about this subject, because if you're living in a world where people are not necessarily authentic, um, they're saying what they think they're supposed to say and being who they think they're supposed to be rather than who they really, really are, it can be problematic. So the first thing I'm going to do is open uh, the line to my friend in Dallas, Carol, who's been on this show before. Good morning, Carol. I finally got the line open. How are you? (laughs) Uh, Well, good morning. I'm really happy to join you this morning. Uh, this well, I'm glad you're here. Important topic for everybody to ponder for themselves. Mm-hmm. In the first place, how to be authentic. Mm-hmm. Next, I'm going to um, call Jeanette. Jeanette's here okay. in Houston. It's kind of fun to do this through the computer. It still seems like magic. <laughs> it is. Hi, Jeanette. Jeanette, I want to introduce you to Carol. Carol's in Dallas. And Carol and I were members of a support group together many years ago in Austin where this subject was dealt with, was being true to who you are and being authentic and how that's a way to live your life. And, Carol, Jeanette is somebody I've known for, what, about 10 or 12 years who has just been going through life in an authentic way who knows how long. A long time. <laughs> well, so. it's been a long time. <laughs> well, 
When I hit 50, I think I suddenly decided I'd been nice long enough. <laughs> I think that happens to a lot of people. Uh, I know that when Carol and I were in that support group, it was a, kind of a women's support group, which was really a, a rant, going around a lot in the, what, the late 80s, early 90s. Um, that was a topic of frequent conversation. And I don't know about you, Carol, but I know I worked on it a lot in that group. Oh, definitely. Definitely. We had a group leader who had some real good ideas about how, how to do that. So well, so what happens? Let's talk about the kinds of things that happen when you tell the truth in a world where women particularly, everybody, but especially women, are not supposed to tell the truth. They're supposed to be nice. Well, I think with women especially, it's our first few years it, we're playing roles, we're kind of stuffing our feelings, we're kind of just being the nice, good girl. And then we become reactive. We've been nice and we've stuffed until we can't do it anymore. So then we start having the blow-ups and we start being labeled as having PMS and all of the nasty things that that guys and sometimes our friends start labeling with because it's coming out in anger. It's coming out in poorly chosen words. And or depression. Exactly. Some people it comes out in depression. Yeah. It, yeah. And, you know, if we continue trying to stuff it, we have to start taking medications because it's building up to a point of boiling and so we do go into depression, we go into anxiety, we go into all of those things that show that we're way off base. And then we start trying to move into, we start hearing, and especially that's really a big push from the universe right now, is being the people we came to be, to to live our our choice that we have chosen for this lifetime. And then we begin trying to look at, well, who are we? Because by the time we start really thinking about being authentic, we've been fake for so long, we don't even remember who we are. So it begins to be a journey of who am I when I'm not playing the roles that I've been taught to play. And it's interesting even when we're working on being authentic, to observe how many times our first reaction to something is what we've been taught, not what we've chosen to think. So it's a journey. It's not something you just suddenly wake up and say, I'm going to be authentic today, because first of all, you've probably forgotten a lot about what that is. And secondly, we do have that default mode where what we've been taught comes out of our mouth and sometimes we're just shocked at, where did that come from? I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. So it's continuing to examine. Yeah, and examining what it what it is that's authentic. Another way to say that is to try to figure out who the heck you are. Yeah, I'm writing a book because to me astrology, the birth chart is really where you look at who you came to be the challenges and the strengths and all of that, the unique person that is you. And it is 
going back and saying, who am I and what am I doing here? And that's a big question for a lot of us. We've forgotten who we are. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely true. Yeah, there was a period in my life, I guess late 30s, early 40s, where I got really, 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 this is Lois speaking, by the way, in case the listeners don't know who's which, um, I got really, really depressed because I knew that who I was on the outside was very, very different than who I was on the inside. And that schism, that rift, that uh, that huge gap between the real me and the me I was forced to be in order to live in the world I'd created for myself mm-hmm. was uh, it so radically, painfully different that I just... I was just like horrifically depressed. And so a lot of times people um, have to go talk to somebody just to figure out who they are again. And um, so part of the journey of being authentic is to find out who you are. Yeah. To re-remember who you are. What we've been taught along the way is who we are is unacceptable. Right. So if we're acting the way we believe and speaking our truth, we're often slapped down and made to feel like, you know, we're absolutely wrong and we can't trust our feelings. Right. One of my mother's favorite phrases, because going back to astrology, my mother's got a moon in Aquarius. And so does my younger sister, much younger sister. And I've got a moon in Scorpio, so my emotions are at the far end of intense on that scale of moon signs, and her emotions are at the far end of not intense in terms of moon signs. So one of her favorite things to say to me was, don't feel like that. Yeah, exactly. So how do you not feel what you're feeling? Well, (laughs) If you figure that out, you know, just don't worry about it. Because we don't want to do that. <laughs> it was just not possible. But I, it was the message was your feelings are not okay. Because and I don't think she meant to hurt me, but the fact of the matter is that was what got me started suppressing what I felt and not listening to it. And I really feel, I really believe that our feelings are what we're supposed to be listening to, not what's the mind chatter that's going on in our heads, but our feelings. Carol, right. do you have anything to say about yeah, that? Yeah, and, and also that your feelings are 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 completely valid. What the way you choose to act on them, that right. is that's where choice comes into play. But your feelings are valid, whatever your feelings are, and being allowed to have those feelings and to own those feelings and then make your choice. Um, I don't know if it's indicative of uh, it sounds like um, we're all three uh, women of the South, and um, there is an element of culture involved in in uh, little girls being sweet, nice little girls. And I remember having great feelings of anger while I'm standing there with my long blonde curls and big blue eyes looking up at my dad and being so angry, and yet, you're, don't be that way. You're such a pretty little girl. Little girls don't act that way. And meanwhile, some little boy had run off with the with the uh, 
toy that I had carefully crafted from whatever was going on, and I was not allowed to go deal with that issue, which I was very prepared, even at four years old, to run and take it back and to tell them what for. And I I think we are just trained so frequently as women, and it isn't until we are allowed to own those feelings and then make our choice that we can live in authenticity. I agree. I agree. And I wonder if people are still raising little girls like that. I suspect they are. I see I see a lot of that still going on. Which makes me sad. So when we become grown ups it's just kinda up to us to um get back in touch with who we are. And um so if a person wants to get in touch with who they are, what's what's a good way to start doing that? Anybody have an idea? Carol, I'll let you go. Well, I think what I just said is to is to 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 start being available, you know, having uh being aware of what those feelings are, and that really is the first step. I mean, if you've been suppressing them for 10 years, for 20 years, for 30 or 40 years, you've got to first realize what you're feeling, and I think that's the first step, and uh, and then to decide how how you're going to react to that. But you've got to first acknowledge that you are having feelings um, that may be contradictory to what's going on outside of you and to what other people might want you to be feeling, um, and uh, what you said, Lois, that your mother was telling you don't feel that. Well, that's just, that's really absurd. You feel what you feel. And I think when we're when we're not allowed to feel what we feel, that's when the whole process takes place. I mean, again, it is a choice. Once you have a feeling, it becomes a choice after that. Mm-hmm. But you have and to you acknowledge decide, the feelings. Yeah, and you can decide to reinterpret the situation mm-hmm. to change your reaction to the situation. I'm not talking about reactions. I'm just talking about feelings. Jeanette, do you have ideas about how people can get in touch with what they're feeling if they've been repressing it for a long time? Well, really and truly, I guess the question I would ask, if somebody's really been repressing their feelings for a long time, they're on some kind of medication to (laughs) make them not feel what they're feeling. Right. So, again... A lot of times it's it's finding a friend, it's finding a counselor that can walk you back to, you know, what were you feeling when you went on the medication? Because right now they're not feeling much. So it's mm-hmm. going back to what were the feelings that put you on the medication? Were you hating your job? Were you hating your husband? Were you hating being the person that had to dress up and play a role that didn't fit you because Mm -hmm. sometimes you may have to go back and decide at what point did you totally start denying who you were and unfortunately I taught school for many years and we taught people to stop thinking because when you wrote an essay you know, where you're supposed to express your feelings, if they're not in agreement with the teacher, they're going to get a low grade. So it, it, we're trained, even by the time we get out of school, to stop feeling what we feel and just listen closely to people 
to, to we get very in tuned with other people. We're intuitive. We start thinking, what do I say so that they'll be happy? What do I say so that I'll get a good grade? When we get married, what will what should I say where he doesn't get upset with me? And so it is very, very tough to go back to what are my authentic feelings. And, of course, a lot of my counseling is with astrology, where mm-hmm. when I say this is what you came in, these are the types of feelings you would have chosen. And they say, oh, but everybody's always telling me I can't think that way. Well, you know, forget everybody. Your birth chart says this is what you came in to do. So, you know, I don't want to make this sound like, well, just wake up tomorrow and be authentic. Because it's a trip back to where we used to be. Yeah. So it's... Going back to depression a little bit, I, I've often heard that depression is a signal from the soul that something's wrong. Exactly, and men, women have depression much greater rates than men do because men are able to go be the warrior at work and all of those things that they're supposed to be. Even back when we became liberated, where we could earn the same salary as men and have Supposedly. the same jobs as men. <laughs> We we became men. We went to work and did work the way men do, rather than taking the feminine way of doing business into mm-hmm. the office. Well, listen, I know from, I did a paper on this in graduate school that women get depressed more often than men. Probably four times as many women go for help mm-hmm. for depression. And that's partly because women are, it's easier for women to ask for help. Uh, but I think men have a similar problem, only they deal with it differently. What they do is they drink. Mm-hmm. And men are more likely to go drink to take care of that problem than to go uh, get medication from a doctor or talk therapy. But they Absolutely. get depressed too. They they just deal with it differently. That's what I think anyway. And, yeah, I think culturally it may be easier for men to... Um, express themselves to say what they think, but I think they also have high rates of depression. And I think that's the problem is with the culture that we have right now because no one is allowed to be authentic. Right. And oftentimes instead of depression, it's anger. Mm-hmm. Well, depression is anger turned inward, of course. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. It's when you turn it in on yourself it becomes depression. When you, you know, when you express it outward, sometimes you go to jail. <laughs> Because you hit somebody. (laughs) Well, yeah, the incidents of, you know, they used to take women to the uh, sanatorium because uh, in their 30s and 40s and uh, 50s a lot because suddenly they were just not not who everybody thought they were. And I think that was an ability, you know, trying to come to terms with your authentic self. And, And that does happen if you if you let it go that long uh, around the time of the menopause because because women have just really had the limit of what they can stand of uh living that inauthentic life uh fortunately people have the option of 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 working toward that uh much sooner but um but you know culturally they used to just ship people off to the sanatorium you know so it's uh 
which is, I guess, the 18th century or 19th century version of uh, of uh, going on Prozac and things like that. So yeah. Exactly. Well, actually, it hasn't been that long ago because when my mother decided she was fed up and she was going to get a divorce, my husband, I mean, her husband had her committed. Really? Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, certainly they did it in the 20th century, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, so. you know what? And back in the 80s, I knew somebody whose husband was, if I said the last name, everybody would know this family, very wealthy family, and her father was a psychiatrist, and her husband and father got together when... She started acting up and over-medicated her to the point that she could hardly talk. Oh, my God. In Galveston, it was a small town. So it's still going on in many places. Um, but, okay, so what I want to talk about next is the things that happen to people who are authentic. Because, um, you know, I, I feel like the three of us are very authentic people and um that we're able to um, say what we mean, and not very many people can. And first off, I want to say that that's a gift. If you've reached the place where you really can speak your truth, it's an incredible gift, not just for you, but for the people around you. Exactly. But what happens, um, Jeanette, you were talking about this the other day, what happens when somebody is... Uh, being authentic, and other people around them don't appreciate it. Can you talk about that a bit? Actually, I would love to, but I'm going to turn it back to Carol because I heard Carol say, it. you know, you need to learn how to say your truth. So, Carol, you want to give some ideas on when we're ready to speak our truth, how do we do it in a non-offensive way or a non-combative way? Well, certainly your la- the language is, is ultimately important. And and relaying something as your own experience, I think, gives people the opportunity to um, you know, being careful that you're not saying you should do such and such, you know, um, making sure that you're, you're, you're stating that this is your experience and your um your interpretation of what's going on around you and what you have to say about it, um, leaving people the option to 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 then reflect, which is which is the gift of what you're saying. Um, I think when we are authentic and let people know that that's really what we're doing, that does give people the option to uh, to look to uh, look at themselves and and say, Hey, wait a minute, I think differently than that. And um, and to reflect on what their authenticity is, uh, I was thinking, you know, when you were saying about bad things that happen, but I think that's the ultimate good thing that can happen, uh, the freedom that can come when you are telling your your truth. Uh, it it kind of holds a space for others to to be able to tell their truth. Uh, I have an experience that that demonstrates this in that um uh we told our my husband's very traditional uh catholic family um about a very special and private um situation for for our immediate family and because we had the courage to do that to be our authentic selves it allowed them to then relate 
their similar personal uh, experiences, and that was that was a gift that they were so thrilled um, to have received, and uh, it opened up a dialogue within the whole family in a uh, a way that. Um, you know, we we had never seen before. So I think having being authentic yourself give helps to hold that space for others to be authentic. Is that helping anyway? And Go ahead. What I was taught was to use I think I I feel and I want statements. Yes. I think that what we're doing is a little out of my line or what I want to do. I feel threatened when you say things like that. But the hardest thing for women is the I want statement. And we're really sometimes hard on our husbands because we've had a hard day, we want to go out to eat, but we go home and it's like we expect him to have been hit on the head with a crystal ball today and suddenly know that we've had a hard day and we want to go out to eat rather than just going home and saying, honey, I've really had a hard day and I'd like to go out to eat because we've gone into fear of his reaction. We've gone into fear of rejection. And it's going back to, I would really like to go out to eat tonight instead of making it a test of if he loved me, he'd read my mind. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And even in, in the workplace. I've been in office management for so long, and the hardest thing for me to work with is an employee who won't tell me what they want. Because I'm sensing women are intuitive. We know if you're upset about something. And there's nothing more irritating to me as an employer than to ask an employee, I I feel that there's something that's upsetting you. Could you share with me what that is? No, I'm fine. Well, you know, you want to say, I'm sorry, I know you're not fine. So you either think I'm utterly stupid or you just want to be miserable and I'll allow it. So it's, we know, we feel, but we forget to say what we want. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and then, you know, there's a certain satisfaction that uh, people learn to get a certain satisfaction without really realizing what they're doing in acting pouty and mm-hmm. letting everybody know they're not happy but mm-hmm. never telling you what's bugging them, and that's called mm-hmm. passive-aggressive. Mm-hmm. Everybody around them is miserable, but they won't say what's bothering them or what can be done to fix it. They just want to pout and punish everyone. So it, it's really nice when those guys figure out how to say what they want. Oh, really? <laughs> Everybody and when does. you get comfortable enough when you're around them to not be manipulated by it. You know, so you want to pout, so have fun. Yeah. Boy, that really ticks them off. <laughs> <laughs> but it's yeah. difficult to do. We're often controlled by a look on somebody's face, by a pout on somebody's face, It's really getting back to that authenticity that, you know, I really don't have to meet their criteria. And if they can't can't tell me what would make it better, then I'll just have to let them enjoy their pouting. But, you know, I do think just acknowledging 
um, you know, being authentic yourself in a situation like that is to say, well, I have, I have uh, the feeling that you are unhappy. I'm looking at at the expression on your mm-hmm. face. I'm listening to how you know your speech pattern, and those are clues that I interpret as that you are unhappy. Uh, and so I just want to let you know that I am open to hearing what you have to say, right. and let's see if we can work things out. But if you are going to, um, you know, uh, if this is what the way you choose to to behave, I'm letting you know that I see these things. I'm interpreting them as a, a signpost for something that needs to be discussed and that I, I'm open to helping you with, but I'm not going to be manipulated by this. And so okay. I'm now going to go about my day. Right. And uh, I remember using those kinds of words with, um, you know, with children, with seven-year-olds, with nine-year-olds. And it didn't take long for them to realize that... Um, it wasn't working. It wasn't working, and uh, and that is a is an ultimate lesson in being authentic and going ahead and having the freedom to to uh, express your authentic feelings. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, and so then that keeps you in your own authenticity. Exactly. That you see it. This is how you're interpreting their behavior, and now you're going to release it. That they're going to do whatever they're going to do, but. Uh, you're not going to be manipulated by it. And one of the titles of a book that has always impressed me, I didn't read the book, but the title was Approval Addiction. Mm -hmm. And that is what we get into. That's what keeps us away from our authenticity, is we've been trained since we were little that we want approval. And part of being authentic is, recognizing that there's some people that just aren't going to approve of what you do, and that's okay. So there's there's something that just kind of popped into my head, and it's, it's the subject, uh, which is very closely related to this, which is called inner um, authority. Mm-hmm. One's inner authority. And this is the opposite of needing approval. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it, for example, say you have a a mystical experience or a, a, a spiritual or mediumistic experience. Say you wake up in the middle of the night and there's somebody in the room and you can see through them. They're a, they're a spirit, and you tell other people and they tell you you're either delusional and need medication, or um, that you didn't really see that you were only having a dream but you know deep inside yourself that you saw a spirit. Mm -hmm. So if you have um, a belief in your own inner authority, you know what you saw, then you're safe in a situation like that. But if you believe that what other people believe is more important than what you know inside your heart, soul, gut, wherever you want to locate it, then you... For example, if you're a natural-born medium or psychic, you can be driven crazy by that because your sensory experiences are being denied by others and you're listening to them. So inner authority is important, it seems to me. Yeah, and it seems to me that that's the total, that's the foundation for living an authentic life, trusting your inner authority. 
and and acknowledging that you have it. You know, that's the validity of everything everything you say and do and believe is is I am of value, I am existing, I am this this entity, this soul and um and what I think, see, believe has uh has uh relevance to what I then can convey to other people. Now, that doesn't mean that other people can then not give you additional information that changes how you're going to interpret something, but you have to, as a foundation, believe in your right to to, uh, to believe. Know what you know. Your right to know what you know. Yeah. Exactly. And that's got to be the foundation for being authentic. Yeah, that's a hard lesson for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. To trust what you know in the face of every of other people saying, "Oh no, that's not right." Right. And that then we come to well, of course, the family we can't change, but picking your friends carefully. Create mm-hmm. uh, a new family. Yeah, if you're dealing with people who are just going to tell you that you're totally off base, it might be time to find new friends. Mm-hmm. And exactly. That is sometimes what happens when we start working on being authentic is we find that many of our friends are not comfortable with that. They, yeah, they fall we, away. We have found them while we were being the person who was pleasing to them and anything they'd say over lunch we'd just go along with and suddenly we're not playing the role and so you know there are there are stages at which you choose new friends mhm i'll never forget when i was going through the process of dropping the um the persona that needed to please the world in order to be safe and started developing my own inner authenticity, my own inner authority so that I could be authentic and knowing what I know and trusting my own feelings. I remember one time somebody, uh, I think it was in the grocery store, got really angry with me and yelled at me or snapped at me or something. And I remember thinking, what the heck's the matter with him? I didn't do anything to deserve to be snapped at like that. And it was like a bolt of lightning hit me after I had that thought. It was like, Wow, that's the first time I've ever reacted like that because in the past I would have assumed automatically that I'd done something wrong and it was my fault and I needed to change my behavior. Right. And I thought it was like I was like being born again. (laughs) It was a new world. (laughs) When I went, what's the matter in my head? What's the matter with you, jerk? You having a bad day? Because I didn't do anything to deserve that. I put it on you know, his anger back on him instead of taking it on myself and saying, yeah. what did I do what, wrong? What did I do wrong? Uh-huh. And That's huge. You have to understand, like in a marriage or a family, if we have exhibited a certain behavior for years and all of a sudden we've just suddenly switched and we're not playing the role, it, our family and friends do think, that we've kind of gone a little bit off center because we're acting so differently. Uh, yeah, never mind if it's more healthy. <laughs> right. That's not okay. 
right. change back is usually the message we get. That is exactly right. I liked you better the other way. Well, yeah, probably, but too bad. <laughs> well, and, you know, just that concept of, hey, I've been doing a lot of thinking, and um, I've realized that, that um I really haven't been telling you what I really think. Right, exactly. Giving them a heads up at least, and then exactly. and then they can also have the right to say, I liked you better the other way, and then you have the right to say, well, I'm sorry if I gave you that impression. Maybe you yeah. can come to like this person too. Yeah, exactly. And really and truly, oftentimes, if once the adjustment is over, they will like it better. Exactly. Because we are being less reactive we are not having the blow-ups that come about when we're either just speaking our truth or getting off our medication and thinking things through more carefully we are different people and they may find that they like dealing with somebody who's really telling the truth and not just suddenly blowing up yeah for no apparent reason you know, one of the things that keeps me telling people the truth and, and being keeping it real is that I realized one day, as long as you're pretending to be someone you're not, you're going to attract friends and loved ones, lovers, husbands, whatever, into your life that are not interested in you but in your mask. Exactly. Eventually, exactly. Yeah. That's got to fall apart. They're not going to want to be with you anymore when they start to see the real person. Right. And the truth of the matter is it's a waste of precious time that the hours on the planet that each of us has are finite. Mm -hmm. And it's a waste of precious time to be anything but who you really are because you're going to wind up in a relationship that doesn't work. Yeah. Or a series of relationships that don't work if you can't be who you really are. Right. I definitely agree. So, yeah, I mean that's the the um, like the ultimate reason for being living an authentic life because then you're getting what you really want. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, like the futility of faking an orgasm just to. <laughs> <laughs> Or not telling your husband what feels good and what you don't like. And saying, no, he's got to figure it out on his own. I know somebody who's been doing that for 40 years. Oh, my God. (laughs) How's that working for? (laughs) It's not. It's not. It's not. And, um, you know, in a gentle, loving way, you can tell just about any man on earth what feels good and what doesn't by, by saying, I really like it when you do and pulling away gently when they're doing something you don't like. But if you say nothing, they're just, you know, they don't have a crystal ball. Men have even smaller crystal balls than we do. They do. (laughs) They're not, uh, yeah, they're built different than we are. So it's really important, it seems to me. And Without getting too graphic, I want to say I've had more than one man say, thank you for telling me what feels good to you. Most women can't do that. Mm-hmm. And they're grateful. So let me tell you, ladies, they want to know because they want to please you. Mm-hmm. I agree. And if they don't, get yourself another one. <laughs> exactly. If they don't want to please you. Exactly. So. And... 
there is a lot to recognize in the fact that it does show up so many times is we reach menopause because as we reach menopause, the nurturing, the mothering um, hormones start going down and we start having a little more testosterone come in because it's it's more about moving on with our lives versus taking care of our children. So if you're around 50 or in your early 50s and you start wondering, why am I being so gripey? It is because at this time in your life you're ready to move on and, and really get on with your life of what you have or haven't done up until now. So there is actually a physical thing that takes place. Mm-hmm. Or if the same thing happens, I think, what the way it happened for me was I got so depressed I just couldn't yeah. function anymore, you know. Well, not I could still function, but it was just unbearable, and I realized something had to change. So that's what happened to me. I had to figure out how to be, how to close that gap between who I was in the world and and um, who I was on the inside. Because if that if that schism is too great, you'll break. Sure you will. And that's why we have so many people on medication now. Yeah, what percentage of Americans are on antidepressants right now? It's a freakishly high number. It is. And we've just gotten to where we think. I think one of the saddest things to me is I work with people in medical issues and there's a part of the body right around the waistline that the more stress you're in and the more you're feeling stress you get that belly roll mm-hmm. and I've had women come in and I'll say something about stress and they'll say well I don't have any stress and their body is showing me that they are having tremendous amounts of stress yeah, the cortisol is what yeah. packs it on around there, and exactly. that's released by adrenals, which exactly. is the stress reaction. Sure. But they've so closed themselves down or so medicated uh-huh. themselves, they will truthfully and mean every word of it. I don't have any stress. And I find that very sad that we've gotten that disconnected from our bodies and our feelings. They don't even know they have it. Mm-mm. They've They've shut themselves down so much and numb themselves. Mm-hmm. Sometimes to stay in a situation, people just will go numb. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Can't feel anything because the feelings are too overwhelming. So when you find somebody who's stressed out like that and doesn't know they're stressed out, what do you do about it? Or what do you suggest they do? Because there may be people listening right now who want to know what to do about that. They say, ooh, I've got belly fat. What do I do? Well, we're back to you start doing some looking at yourself, becoming aware of when, how often in a day am I making decisions based on what somebody else wants me to be versus who I am and how I feel about things. And... You know, why do I continually choose 
to do what other people want versus what I feel good about. And the one thing that's really difficult with women, too, is we the word selfish has become mm-hmm. really big with women. I think it's always been, but if I take time to do something for myself, I'm being selfish. No, you're you're doing what you need to do. We can't stay in continually doing for somebody else without taking some time to recuperate from ourselves. So it's getting into, I, I guess I'm a book reader. So it's the difference between caring and over-caring. Uh, and the difference is if you're doing something out of service and caring, you feel good after you've done it. If you're doing it out of duty, out of irritation, of I need to be the perfect whatever, then you're going to feel angry and bitter for what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so how do you deal with having an aging parent that needs, not necessarily needs, but wants your attention the whole time? They want you to wait on them. They want you to do everything for them. How do you deal with that? Just say no. Exactly. It's you know, so if they can do it for themselves, then what you're doing is pulling the rug out from under them by doing it for them. Yes. You're hastening their inability. They're becoming someone who can't do anything for themselves. Exactly. Same is true with children who want you to do everything for them. Exactly. And we forget that we can make them crippled, you know, emotionally right. crippled. Because we're doing everything for them. So what we think we're doing that's good is exactly the opposite. So I, fortunately, I guess I have friends that I can go to. and this, Women especially need the friendships of people who at least will listen to them uh, and not condemn them for the thoughts they have. And we tend to not do that. We tend to try to make our husbands be who we want our husbands to be, and that's just not always possible for husbands. You know, I I remember thinking, you know, why is it I can get this, this, and this from my husband, but I've got to have girlfriends to get these other things that I really wish he would do. And then one day it hit me, I was asking too much of the man. I was asking him to be a husband and a provider and a lover and my best girlfriend. Well, think again. He's not going to be your best girlfriend. If you need somebody to talk things through with who's not going to try to fix it for you, which is what men do, they think, oh, she's telling me this so I can tell her what to do about it. Um, it's the way they've been a culture. Their upbringing, the way they've been a culture, is fix a problem and move right. on. You want somebody to listen. You need a girlfriend. Don't try right. to make your husband be your girlfriend. Well, I think that goes to the basic way that um, the feminine mind works. I I know something that has always meant a lot to me when I discovered it was that the process of putting into words what my dilemma was helped me figure out my dilemma. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. where you really get into that dichotomy of, of wanting to use your husband to listen to you process this but not expecting him to come up with a solution. 
Um, right. And, and, and where women things. instinctively know that. Right. Well, and it doesn't hurt to tell your husband, I just need you to listen and nod and go, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but they have such a, a strange look on their face when they do it, like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> yeah. Well, or, or then you realize that you cannot, you cannot then reference it later on in further conversations because they truly right. didn't listen while you were doing it. <laughs> they were just nodding <laughs> exactly. and saying, uh-huh. Right, and exactly, I which is why we need women friends. Exactly. <laughs> we do as women do a lot of problem solving by talking with other women. Mm-hmm. And... We figure it out while we're talking. Yeah, we get our own answer as we're sharing with other women. Exactly. This is one of the first cultures that we don't have that. In the old days, you had your quilting bees. You had the times when women got together and did things. And we just decided this culture that our husbands are supposed to be everything that we ever dream they might be. We've gone for a fairy tale. And mm-hmm. we're not really very willing to let it go. And it's it's again realizing one of my friends the other day said it's like going to the hardware store to buy a, a glass of milk. Yeah, good it's, luck. <laughs> it's realizing, you know, we can't go to someone that is uh, ill-equipped by means of testosterone or thinking processes or just what they feel like their job is in the world mm-hmm. and expect them to do for us. Mm-hmm. Well, in fact, there's a structure in the in the brain called the corpus callosum yeah. that allows you to put feelings into words, and there it's a very uh, different size the corpus callosum in males than in females, which is why women have such an easy time putting their feelings into words and men don't. It's physiological. And when you put the burden on a marriage of the man being your your best girlfriend, it's like, you know, really? You expect that marriage to survive? Exactly. And I guess a lot of us have been trying to think, well, if we take time and go off with our girlfriends, our our husbands will get upset or whatever. I think you'd find that they really might like to have just some time to... With to their not, men friends or with right. off doing their own hobby, yeah. Or at least not feeling responsible for whatever's wrong with you today that they don't understand anyway. Right. And, you know... It, Knowing that you need time with your women friends and telling your husband that honestly or your boyfriend or or whomever, um, that's part of being authentic. Right. Part of being real. One of the examples in my own marriage is I was the person who loved to plan trips. So anytime we went on a vacation, I had just, inadvertently, you know, not meaning to do anything wrong, had done all the trip planning. And Uh I'd get upset because my husband never seemed to fully appreciate all the work I'd done and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) So finally, 
I, because I love to travel and he's kind of a like-to-stay-home person, uh-huh. I finally I said, you know, would you really be happier if I just went on trips with girlfriends? He said, are you going to get mad if I say yes? <laughs> and since then, you know, I, I go on trips with girlfriends. And it's a lot less stressful. We have a lot more fun because men and women do trips differently. Mm-hmm. But it and Well, if they're willing to go on a trip with you, maybe it's because they like to travel. Yeah. And it was not criticizing my husband because he didn't like to travel. It was just saying, okay, how do I work around this issue? Yeah. Or I could have gone on depression pills and not traveled and resented it and been mad at him all the time. Mm-hmm. And doing the passive-aggressive thing to get even. Breaking oh, yeah. his favorite toys. And I used to do that well. Uh-huh. I think I, a lot of us did that at one time. I think all women do. We figure out quickly where the soft spots are. Well, I, you know, and I, I also think men do as well. I, I can look back oh, yeah. and see ways that my husband was passive aggressive with me because sure. it didn't work to tell me sure. what he felt or wanted. Well, and, you know, that goes to the concept that men have to deal with their authenticity also. Sure I mean, uh, the the uh, the... The basis of passive aggressive activity is is that you're not being authentic right. and feeling like you can uh really say what you want. I mean if you're if you're being authentic there's no need for passive aggressive behavior. Right. I mean we we used to run into a situation where I would be you know a planner myself and an organizer of activities and and uh I would come to my husband and say, "Well, okay, so now Saturday night we're going to um, what do you think about doing this and this and this? And mm-hmm. he being what I now realize was was kind of part of his being an only child, he would go, okay, well, that, yeah, that's fine. So then I would go through all the, the issues of setting up a babysitter, organizing this, and then at the last minute he would just say, well, I'm too tired, I don't want to go. And it was so frustrating for me because... I could have gone with a different plan if he had just been authentic and stated his wishes initially when I was coming up with a plan. And, uh, you know, so it's not just women that have problems with authenticity. Right. This is true. This is true. And and I think what you said about being an only child, I, I think that's one reason, but that there are lots of other reasons why it's not okay for men also to be authentic. At least they think it's not. Um you know, if you don't have to work things out with a sibling, that's one reason. But then there are lots of other reasons, too, like your dad sure. would be proud of you if you told him you didn't want to do something or you did want to do something. So there are all kinds of, uh, yeah, men have to deal with authenticity just as well as, as do women. Um, yeah. So we, we were talking about trips earlier, and I'm going to be taking a group of people up to dig crystals in Arkansas in October. All right. Yeah, I'm not sure of the exact dates yet, but we're going to go up there and do a. It's a nice weather for that kind of thing. It's cooled down a bit, and the sun won't bake your brains when you're down there digging. And um, in the hot springs area, we may go on over to uh, Mount Ida for a while too. And uh, so, if anybody's interested in doing that, and then just go to my uh, email me, Lois 
L-O-I-S, at hotpinklotus.com. I haven't posted it on the website yet, but I will soon. We're going to be taking some trips. And and part of that will be digging crystals and doing meditation and uh, maybe even having a class or two. Uh, so, Lois, have you picked a date yet? I haven't, but I'm open to suggestions. Well, once a year, Mount Ida has a, a quartz crystal. Uh, let's see, I'm looking at it. It's the Festival? Mount Ida Area Chamber of Commerce has a 22nd annual World Champion Quartz Crystal Dig, Quartz really? Quilts and Craft Festival. And it's usually like around the first week of October. And it is a fun time to go. So if you decide you want to look up the information on that, you can just Google it and find it on the website. Or maybe we should get there first and then finish up with the festival. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Because otherwise there's lots of people making your crystals. (laughs) No, exactly. That's true. So we'll look that up. And, you know, if that's the case, we may want to make our reservations early. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds fabulous. Yeah, that'll be fun. And then, you know, then of course they're in hot springs. They've got all those uh, bathhouses where you can go bathe in the hot mineral water and get them massaged. It's a beautiful place for a little uh, treating yourself, being good to yourself. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So that's that's the first trip I think I'm going to do take a group to dig crystals. And then later we're going to be, uh, I'll be organizing a trip to Mount Shasta, which is a very sacred place, and some awfully awesome things have happened to me there. Stewart Mineral Springs is nearby, and we can go over there and do the the uh, bath rounds and the uh, uh, steam room, and then jump in the ice-cold river and then go back to the hot baths, and they've got mineral baths there. And uh, also spend the night camping out, if you want to camp out, on Mount Shasta up at Bunny Flats or um, Panther Meadows. And uh, I've had some awesome, awesome things happen. And if anybody wanted to read about some of the things I've had happen uh, at Mount Shasta, I've got a blog. And it's, you know, there's a link on hotpinklotus.com of, of the blogs and, what, and it's about Sacred Journeys. I think it's called Hot Pink Lotus, actually, the blog is. Um, so be thinking about that. That That's going to be a fun thing to do. And at some point we're going to go to Tulum, which is uh, uh, pyramids on the coast near Cozumel in Mexico. And uh, so I'm just putting that out there so people can be thinking about if they'd like to take Sacred Journeys Sounds with like-minded persons. Yeah, we've got about six seconds left. I want to thank both of you for being here. Carol, did you have something else you wanted to say? Uh, I just want to thank you for including me in this very important discussion. I think it's um, it's kind of the basis of, of people's life journeys. You have to figure out who you are first so you can figure out what you're supposed to do. Right. Yeah, what's your mission on earth is very dependent on who you are. That's for sure. Jeanette? Well, thank you very much. And I look forward to the trips. I look forward for people to get back in touch with you and tell you all the stories of how their life has changed once they started expressing their authenticity 
and we're moving in a new direction where we're really looking at changing the world by changing ourselves. Yeah, and thanks to everybody who came to listen today, too. I really appreciate everybody, whether you're listening live or in the archives. And thanks to both of you for being here. I really appreciate you both very, very much. Thank you for the forum. Yeah. 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 Have a great day. Later. Yeah. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. I also want to remind you that I've got a book on past lives. It's called Asian Records, Case Studies of Past Lives, and you can buy it out on Amazon. Also get it on my website, hotpinklotus.com. Thanks for being here.